Garden Basics with Farmer Fred is brought to you by Smart Pots, the original, lightweight, long-lasting fabric plant container. It's made in the USA. Visit smartpots.com Fred for more information and a special discount. That's smartpots.com Fred. Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. Deciduous fruit trees are starting to wake up from their winter slumber in warmer areas of the United States, with the rest soon to follow. Why not bring some of that flower show indoors? Today, we get tips on how to get fruit tree branches and other spring flowering plants to bloom on your dining room table. Also stirring to life are gardeners heading to nurseries, shopping for deciduous fruit trees to plant. Many of those trees now come not as bare root plants, but already planted in pulp pots. Can you just plunge that pulp pot, tree and all, into the ground? Or do you need to remove it from the pot first? We get tips to do it via either method. Yes, we're talking pulp pot pointers. Uh, Try saying that rapidly three times. We're podcasting from Barking Dog Studios here in the beautiful Abutilon jungle in suburban purgatory. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast brought to you today by Smart Pots. And we'll do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. Have you ever thought about snipping a branch off a plant that's about to bud out and bringing it inside to have an indoor bloom? Maybe your fruit trees, maybe some flowering shrubs. We're coming up to that season when it's going to happen all around us in late winter and early spring. Are there some secrets to forcing those blooms indoors? Let's find out. We have the the blooming horticulture teacher here with us, retired garden professor Debbie Flower. Yeah, is here and uh, Debbie. Forcing blooms, it's not as simple as just cutting off a branch of a peach tree or forsythia that has uh, buds on it that are about to open and sticking it in water indoors? It can be. Okay, then let's move on to something else. (laughs) But it has to be done at the right time. The plants that are typically forced are uh, fruit trees, flowering fruit trees, forsythia, and quince. And they are just what you said, take a cutting, bring it in the house in winter. So the plant is apparently dormant, put it in a vase of water and the warmth of being indoors will open it up. But as I said, it has to be done at the right time. Dormancy is a process where the plants shut down and it protects them from bad conditions. In this case, winter cold and low light levels. And so they won't grow. There are actually two types of dormancy. One is interior dormancy, and that's when they won't grow, even if conditions are right for growth. And it's brought on by the changes in day lengths and changes in temperatures. And the other is uh, exterior dormancy. And once the interior dormancy has been satisfied, the plant sits around and waits for the proper growing conditions. Interior dormancy is satisfied by cold, and that cold is measured in the buds of the plant. So in order for a plant to successfully force, the interior dormancy has to be satisfied, meaning the plant has to have had enough cold. Once that's satisfied, you can take a cutting, bring it in, and the warmth of being indoors will open up those flowers, and you can have a beautiful arrangement. My mother used to do it in a big vase right beside the fireplace every winter, and it was just cheerful to have in the dead of winter a bunch of flowers growing. What was she taking cuttings of to do Um, that? Ornamental crabapple, I believe, and cherry. Hmm. Okay. 
I don't think we had forsythia in that yard. How do you know if the plant has received enough coal to satisfy its interior dormancy? You can be all technical about it, research the plant, find out how much uh, cold it needs. And we often check that information when we're planting a new, let's say, apple tree. Is, is it going to get enough dormancy to actually grow in our environment? Enough cold to satisfy its dormancy so it will grow in our environment or not? If not, then you don't want to plant it because it won't be successful in your yard. So you see those chill hour numbers uh, often on tags of, of fruit trees. Mm-hmm. Things like quince and and forsythia and ornamental fruit trees often don't have those numbers next to them. So you really don't know. There are places you can go and check it out, but it's kind of... <laughs> I'll let you look into that if you want to do it. The easier way is to check the buds, the flower buds on the plant. And if they are really quite full, maybe pushing almost, then they probably have received enough dormancy and those plump buds will likely open when you bring them indoors. Even though they're fully closed? Or even should there be some white showing? No, they, even though they're fully closed. Okay. So they're waiting for the warmth to open that bud. The flowers are very sensitive to cold. So this interior dormancy prevents them from opening on a warm day in midwinter and then exposing the flowers to cold, which would then mean in a fruit tree you're not going to get a fruit. Or in any other plant you're not going to get a fruit that will produce seed, which is part of the goal of the plant. There is a... A gentleman in, I believe it was Michigan, who suggested that people go out weekly, once they think the plants have received enough interior dormancy, that they go out weekly and take a stem and put it in water and give it seven to 10 days and see if it opens up. And if not, then go out again and get another cutting and see if it opens up. And once you get them to open, then for ornamental purposes, obviously you can take a whole bunch of those branches and bring them in and have a nice arrangement indoors. His purpose of doing it was to alleviate any worries that your orchard, talking to orchardists, that your orchard has received enough interior dormancy. As climate changes, different places are warming up and not experiencing as much of the cold, which needs to be between about 35 degrees and 50 degrees. And it's counted by hours. And if temperatures get above 60, then you start subtracting hours from your already accumulated chill or cold hours. So as places warm up, the amount of chill hours is changing and you might have a whole orchard that's not going to produce flowers and fruit if its interior dormancy is not satisfied. And that's a very uh, complicated mathematical formula too for subtracting the number of hours. I think it's above 60 or 65 degrees. And that is a whole other classification called either uh, chill portions or chill units. It's throwing us all for a loop. Because basically, uh, you just can't just look at the number of hours between, say, 32 and 45 degrees and run with that. you got to consider the heat we're getting in January and February now here in California, for example. Right. I was seeing on the news yesterday that Texas people were sunbathing and swimming. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There's been stories like that even uh, in New England, too. Right. So it's warm enough that it could be subtracting from, from that. Some states have a climate system that has stations and that keeps track of this information and somewhere someone is calculating their chill hours that are accumulating. So potentially for your state in California, it's the CIMIS system, C-I-M-I-S. Potentially you can find a place in your state where you can get online and look at what hours, chill hours, and also later on heat hours your plants are potentially receiving. Of course, all gardening is local, as someone I know says. And so it may not be exactly the same where you are located, but it will give you a good idea. 
What are the easiest flowering shrubs or trees to force? The ones we're going to look at to force will be those that bloom in spring. Mm -hmm. And the easiest are forsythia, quince, flowering quince, not edible quince, although edible quince might work as well. And then the uh, flowering fruit trees, not necessarily the ones that produce fruit, but the ornamental flowering fruit trees. Well, that's my big uh, worry about if I went crazy and wanted to force all these stems indoors is, oh, I'm not going to have any fruit left on the tree. So maybe uh, in your yard, plant some uh, flowering cherry or flowering peach trees. Right. And you can even keep them short if you follow that uh, short pruning technique. Yeah, but the, there's no reason to other than to keep your feet on the ground, which yes. isn't a bad idea. Yes, when you're going to take yeah. the, in winter, when it's cold and uncomfortable outside, if you're going to take those branches, it's nice not to have to climb a ladder. So basically, it's as far as fruit trees go, it would be probably anything that begins with the word prunus. Right. If the genus is prunus, and that includes almonds. They're a very early bloomer. If you can yeah. grow them in your location, they would be a good choice, yes. Yeah. Prunus uh, work fabulous. What should be the size of the stem you cut? They're the newest growth, so they're going to be pencil diameter or even narrower. All right, and about pencil length, seven inches, eight inches? My The ones my mom collected were 30 inches. Oof. I was young enough that I was aware she was doing it, but I didn't watch the process. Were these vases that were 18 inches tall? Yeah, they were tall on the ground next to the fireplace, yeah. So something like forsythia would produce. Forsythia, I prefer when forsythia is pruned in what's called renewal pruning, which means you take out whole stems to the ground one-third, all the stems that come out of the ground, take one-third of them to the ground every year. You can wait on your forsythia pruning until you want to force those flowers. Then you go out and do your renewal pruning, which is taking one-third of the oldest branches all the way to the ground. So it's the oldest branches. The oldest, right. So they're going to be the thickest, but they're going to have newer growth on the tips. And bring those in, force them, and you can just put the fat stems in water. That would work too. Or you can cut them down to size and use them in a more artful arrangement potentially and you just use the tips and they will bloom in the house. So you've pruned the plant correctly and you have gotten a a bloom in the house out of it. And so from that one, say, 30-inch long forsythia stem that you removed at the base, could you chop that into three or four different Sure. Stems and sure. something would bloom? Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. So forsythia, quince, and I, I, I like the flowering cherries myself. That, yes. Especially if they have uh, a colorful bark, mm-hmm. red maybe. That red should hold when you bring it indoors. Sometimes colorful stems change back to green when they warm up, but not in the case of those cherries. How long will they uh, last in the house? It's not super long. Depends how warm your house is. Yeah. You're going to want to put it in a place that's cool. You want to change the water. You want to use, uh, if you can, floral preservative to keep them healthy. So a week to 10 days, maybe. Okay. And you mentioned floral preservative. So something, the old 7-Up in there or whatever. Right. Or I've actually taken to purchasing the powdered, I think it's called Flora Fresh, and mixing it. and, And it works very well. All right. So why not have cut flowers indoors? It's a, such a beautiful, cheerful thing. I, I love it. All right. So just uh, keep your eye on your uh, flowering fruit trees and your flowering shrubs. One word of warning about quince. They have thorns. Yeah, they do. Yeah. They're armed. Armed and dangerous. Yeah. So I imagine there are some uh, flowering trees that aren't fruit trees that might do well as uh, forcing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, a plant that is beautiful and blooms in spring would, is dogwood. Mm-hmm. That is 
if it's if it's dormancy has been satisfied, it will open when you bring a cutting indoors. All right, bring those cuttings inside. Debbie Flower, good tips. Thank you. Yeah, oh, you're welcome. You've heard me talk about the benefits of Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric containers. Smart Pots are sold around the world. They're proudly made 100% right here in the USA. Smart Pots is the oldest and still the best of all the fabric plant containers that you might find. Many of these imitators are selling cheaply made fabric pots that fall apart quickly, but not Smart Pots. There are satisfied Smart Pot owners who have been using the same Smart Pots for over a decade, actually approaching 20 years. When you choose Smart Pot fabric containers, you know you'll be having a superior growing experience with the best product on the market. And your plants will appreciate Smart Pots too. Because of the 1 million microscopic holes in Smart Pots, your soil will have better drainage and the roots will be healthier. Those roots won't be going round and round on the outside of the soil ball like you see in so many plastic pots. The air pruning qualities of Smart Pots creates more branching of the roots, and that'll fill more of the usable soil in the Smart Pot. Visit smartpots.com Fred for more information about the complete line of Smart Pots lightweight, colorful fabric containers. And don't forget that slash Fred part, because on that page are details of discounts when you buy Smart Pots at Amazon. Maybe you want to see them before you buy? Not a problem. Smart Pots are available at independent garden centers as well as select Ace and True Value hardware stores nationwide. To find a store near you or to buy online, visit smartpots.com Fred. Smart Pots, the original award-winning fabric planter. Go to smartpots.com Fred for more information and that special Farmer Fred discount. Go to smartpots.com Fred. As the weather warms up back east and in the Midwest, you're going to see more and more fruit trees, berries, nuts, vines, plenty of edible crops for you to be planting in your garden. What's in? What's good? Let's find out. We're talking with Phil Purcell from Dave Wilson Nursery. Phil, I was at the nursery at the other day, and I noticed a lot of Dave Wilson product had just arrived. There were uh, blueberries, blackberries, raspberries. Uh, I think I saw kiwi. There were olives. There were pomegranates. There's a lot coming in. Yeah, so what we do is we have two basic programs. We have a small fruit program that we put into four by nine inch called liner sleeves. And then we have our traditional bare root program, which is our our standard fruit treat. So we ship the uh, farm market program early so that it kind of gets the nurseries in the mood to you know, get the, the edibles thought out to the consumer. And that kind of is the intro to you know our big bare root season where we send all of our fruit trees for the year. There has been a big change in the way that the product is being delivered. Now, when you said bare root, old timers might think, oh yeah, the trees are plunged into a bed of uh, sawdust in the back of the nursery. Well, not so much anymore. It seems like most berry plants and others are coming already in containers. Yeah, you know, we've done market studies and the demographics has just changed where the younger consumer of fruit trees, they're just more comfortable with trees and you know, berries and such in pots. They just feel a little bit more safer. We still grow our fruit trees as a basic bare root and kind of 
give you a little background is that we field grow our trees and then we have just finished harvesting our trees where we have a digger digs the trees up we plant our trees about four or five inches on center and when these trees come out of the ground it's just a dormant top and bare root we grade everything out and then we bundle them then we ship them to our uh, retailers the retailers now Instead of just plopping that tree out of the, uh, the, the sawdust bin, and you know, some of them still do that and selling them, a lot of them have gotten into just going ahead and, and potting them. A very popular way of doing it is putting them into a uh, pulp pot, which is uh, biodegradable. It's, it's a, just a way to get the plants out for the newer gardener who's not quite comfortable with just seeing a, a tree, a stick, and bare root and not knowing what to do with it. What do they do with the pulp pot when they get it home? So what they do is, the nice thing about the pulp pot, as opposed to a bare root, if you get a bare root tree, you need to plant it that day. With a pulp pot, it allows you to go ahead and, and prepare the soil and such, and you can wait till, you know, you can plant it right now or you can plant it in the spring. But you plant the tree in the pulp pot. They're, it's made out of a paper product, pressed paper. So you can plant that tree in this pulp pot like you would a normal plant. And after about six months, the pulp pot itself will disintegrate and the roots will keep on growing into the soil. So it just gives you a little bit more options of when to plant that tree. Can you help out that pulp pot to to break down by perhaps soaking it before planting? Yeah, there's different ways of doing it. And actually, if you were to get a tree right now that is in a pulp pot, you can just pop it right out of the uh, the pulp pot and plant it in the ground as a regular bare root. But if, like I say, if you want to hold on to it, different ways of doing it is, like you said, soaking the pulp pot. We always suggest scoring the sides of the pulp pot in the bottom with like a utility knife to kind of help open things up a little bit to help uh, the process of breaking down. And so why is it that you... It would be advisable to plant it in the pulp pot if you've been holding on to it for weeks or months. Is there something about uh, the root structure inside? Yes. So what happens with the pulp pot is that it acts almost like a plastic container. If you don't have time to plant the, the, the tree right away, as the weather starts warming up, let's say you wait you know, from the time you get the tree and you can't plant it for a month. If you just get it out of the sawdust, it's already starting to send out feeder roots that can be damaged if you try to plant it as a traditional bare root. So by planting it in this pulp pot, it allows the plant to start rooting out within the soil of the pulp pot without disturbing it. It really minimizes the possibility of that tree crashing and uh, not taking off. So with the pulp pot, it's sort of a a little bit of insulation to help it get established in its new home. And then then as the the winter rains come or you're irrigating, that pulp pot breaks down and the roots go out and you've got yourself a healthy tree. How deep should you plant that tree? Generally speaking, when you will buy a, a plant in a pulp pot, the nursery will have it planted at the level where we took it out of the ground. So it'll be, you know, you'll see where the the soil is. When you plant that tree into the ground, you want to make sure that you do not plant the the tree in the pulp pot deeper than the soil level that is in that pulp pot. In fact, we always like people to kind of elevate the pulp pot a little bit so that it's, you know, half an inch, an inch above your, your normal ground level. 
So any type of settling, you'll you'll pretty much be pole pot level soil and your ground level will be about even. How do you get water inside that pulp pot then if you've just planted it all into the garden? Is there a lip around that pulp pot that you can cut off to perhaps uh, make it easier for the water to flow into that uh, area? Yeah, so what I like to do, and there's different methods, is that when you plant the pulp pot, I like leaving the pulp pot lip exposed, you know, for the first few months. And when you water... You water inside the pulp pot, just like watering in a pot, but then you also water on the outside of the pulp pot equally. And what that would do is it helps the, the, the water transpire from one to the other so you don't get a stuck type of plant by watering inside the pulp pot and then watering outside the pulp pot. And this actually helps speed up the uh, breakdown of, of that lip. By the summertime, that lip is just going to pop right off. It's going to, you know, it will have disintegrated. Now, for those nurseries that still have true bare root, they do have their uh, fruit trees, their bare root fruit trees uh, plunged into a bed of sawdust. Now, one strategy we used to employ when we got those home would be to immediately plunge it into either a bucket of water a big bucket of water, or if you've got a, a blank garden space, uh, what's called healing it in, basically just sort of digging a shallow hole and getting the root zone buried in the garden soil temporarily until you decide to move it. Yes. The water part is we always suggest when you get ready to plant the true bare root tree is that you want to really soak the root so you hydrate everything. Let's say you bring it back from the nursery. And, you know, they'll wrap it in, you know, some plastic and a little bit of sawdust. If you let it sit there, odds are it's going to dry out a little bit. And the one thing you don't want to do with the true bare root tree is to have the roots uh, dry out. So soaking it, hydrating the roots are, you know, something that's recommended. Now, if you've got a true bare root tree and let's say, let's say you buy it, you know, on a Friday and you really can't get to it till Sunday, then healing in is a process where you just cover the roots with soil. Even if it's, you know, some soil that you're going to be planting the tree with, or if you have like a little planting bed that you can just go ahead and dig, a, you know, dig the tree into. But you want to make sure that it has some sort of type of soil covering until you're ready to plant it. And then at that point, we still recommend soaking in water before you go ahead and plant it in the hole. If you want a good encyclopedia of growing fruit trees, I would direct you to DaveWilson.com, their website. Not only is there a lot of written information there, but their series of videos, they call them the fruit tube videos, can take you from planting to harvest and uh, and caring for the tree uh, throughout the growing season. It's also available on YouTube as well, but uh, visit DaveWilson.com for a whole host of, of very good, accurate information about growing uh, fruit, vines, and nuts, uh, no matter where you live, wherever uh, Dave Wilson product can be found, which is most of the United States. Phil Purcell, we learned a lot today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Have you taken a look at the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred Beyond the Basics newsletter yet? It's a deeper dive into what's been discussed in the recent podcasts. Plus, there's more great gardening information. It really is going beyond the basics. In the current edition of the newsletter out now, we pick up where we left off last week with more award-winning vegetables for you to try in your 2022 spring and summer garden. 
This week, we're talking tomatoes. We have new tomato variety entries as well as old, reliable tomato friends, all of whom are All-America Selections winners. You heard about these tomatoes in Episodes 168 and 169 of the Garden Basics Podcast. Now you can read even more about them because we have thorough descriptions, pictures, and links to this summertime favorite. It's tomato time in the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter, Beyond the Basics. Find a link in the podcast show notes or at FarmerFred.com or by going to Substack.com slash Garden Basics. Think of it as your garden resource that goes beyond the basics. It's the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter, and it's free. Please subscribe and share it with your gardening friends and family. The Garden Basics with Farmer Fred newsletter, Beyond the Basics. And thank you for listening. We're at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center. We're in the orchard section, but perhaps instead of talking about good fruiting fruit trees, which we've talked about a lot before, how about some ornamental fruit trees that are mainly planted for the show of flowers? You could be planting them for the flowers any place in the country, really. The timing just will be different. Here we are at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center in mid-February, and we've had a very unusual heat wave here, so many of the fruiting trees are already putting out flowers, which is a, a, even early for here. We're talking with Master Gardener Quentin Young. He's also the manager of Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery. Is there much interest in ornamental fruit trees grown for their flowers during late winter, early spring? Sure, that's a big selling point for a lot of them is that they also look good in the landscape when they're flowering. So they could actually do double duty. There are some that are flowering now that will produce edible fruit, and then there are others that are not known for their edible fruit but really have beautiful flowers. Exactly, yeah. So right now, if you're an allergy sufferer, you're going to be noticing the acacias are in bloom, but that's a beautiful yellow flower. And then probably the earliest blooming ones are going to be your saucer magnolias as well. Right. And, of course, you wouldn't be eating acacias or, or saucer magnolias. I guess you could make tea out of the magnolia flowers. But, like, there's the Eva's Pride peach here that's already in full bloom. It looks absolutely gorgeous. And now if you can just stave off peach leaf curl, you'll be okay. Yeah, unfortunately, um, the good thing about not having as much rain this this month is that I think peach leaf curl won't be as bad this year. But the downside is that we need the rain. Um, the Ava's Pride peach, it's a very early flowering peach. And often the problem is that it leaves out usually, um, according to our regular climate, when it would be pouring rain. This year it didn't, though. What about some uh, good examples of ornamental fruit trees that are produced for flowers? What are some of the varieties that really do produce a standout show? You think of Washington, D.C. and the cherry blossoms. Yeah, so all the cherry, all your flowering cherries. We're lucky um, on the West Coast, we have our native red buds. Those will show you a really beautiful display of color. And then we're going to get into, even though they're not a tree, they can be quite large. Um, The ceanothus, our California lilacs, even though they're not a true lilac. We've already talked about the saucer magnolias. Don't forget get the purple leaf non-fruiting plums. Um, So there's quite a few really nice spring flowering trees that won't produce fruit if you don't want them to. Is there a general rule of thumb? Because I get this question a lot uh, from people who are driving around and they see a row of fruit trees in bloom and they really like the color and they were wondering, well, is it a peach? Is it a cherry? Is it a plum? Do particular varieties have particular colors? 
I think so. So most of the plums are going to be either a pale pink, I'm going into white, but most of the peaches and nectarines are going to be, to me, a very dark pink with a darker center. Wild almonds are usually white, and then like I said with the acacias, those are almost always yellow. So if you just want some fruit trees for the show and maybe not necessarily outstanding fruit, uh, you might try some of these ornamental fruit trees. They will produce fruit, though, and you might find a use for it. Yeah, and like I said, just grow something that you like to eat and then you go from there. There you go. Quentin Young, Master Gardener, Manager of Fair Oaks Boulevard Nursery as well. Uh, thanks for uh, showing us the pretty flowers. Thanks for having me, Fred. Garden Basics comes out every Tuesday and Friday. It's brought to you by Smart Pots. Garden Basics is available wherever podcasts are handed out, and that includes Apple, iHeart, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, Google, Podcast Addict, CastBox, and Pocket Casts. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate it.